Hello, and welcome to the first edition of the Global Credit Union Podcast, a new initiative of World Council of Credit Unions. This new monthly podcast is the only one that will focus on the international credit union and financial cooperative movement. I'm your host, Greg Newman. We started this podcast to provide the international credit union community with an in-depth look at some of the interesting and important stories we have to tell here at World Council of Credit Unions, particularly in the areas of international advocacy, international projects, education and networking, and digital transformation. But we'll also be telling your stories about the work credit unions are doing all over the world on behalf of their members. We start by looking back on the tenure of our soon-to-be outgoing president and CEO, Brian Branch. He'll be retiring after 30 years with World Council, the last 10 as the leader of our organization. And in our 50th anniversary year of 2021, I can't think of a better person to start the Global Credit Union podcast with. My conversation with Brian Branch, up next. Brian, you've been here over 30 years. Um, I know during that time you've seen a lot. So I just want to take you through the decades with me a little bit to kind of get your feelings on what were some of the things that you think really defined your time with World Council and also define World Council during that time. And let's start with uh, the early 1990s. We're talking about a time of civil war in Central America. We're talking about a time where the Soviet Union ended. Um, this is a major upheaval. Uh, what was it like coming into an organization during that time frame? Well, I began with the World Council in 1990, and uh, I had lived and worked in Latin America uh, in my earlier years, so I was very interested in what was going on in Latin America. And as you say, this was a time of civil war in El Salvador, Guatemala, Nicaragua, and Honduras. And at that time, Koreans were really kind of hunkered down. Uh, frankly, they were victimized by both sides of the conflict. Um, from the left, they were seen as these capitalist organizations. From the right, they were seen as these socialist organizations. And so we actually lost some credit union managers during that period of time. But it was very striking that the Koreans kept operating, even though they were working with very small sums of money. They were helping their local communities uh, get the crops in the ground to feed their families and and to keep their businesses going so they'd have some income to support their families. And uh, we were doing a lot of work in Guatemala, Honduras. And I remember at one point I was supposed to fly from uh, Honduras over to Guatemala, stopping in El Salvador on the way. And the day before, the, uh, the guerrillas in El Salvador announced that they had anti-air missiles uh, homed in on the airport in El Salvador. So everyone thought I was crazy. Instead of flying across the, the, the isthmus, flew up to Miami, then Miami back down to Guatemala. Just made it a much longer day. Yeah, I mean, a little uh, little intimidating, too, when you're talking about those kinds of issues. Um, what was it like? I mean, this is, this is your first year, I assume, or first couple of years with the World Council. And, and I, I want to point out to folks that you didn't become CEO until 2011. So a lot of this time you were doing technical work, you were in the field. Um, but what was it like to be, you know, in the middle of something like that? psychologically, um, and knowing that there was danger out there. Well, you know, I had, uh, as I said, spent time in Latin America previously as a, as a younger person. And so 
I was just fascinated with the role that Cretans had in empowering people in that kind of civil disturbance and that kind of chaotic environment. And something I've seen multiple times since then. But it was a it was it was a challenging time, but it was an empowering time. It was a time when you saw people uh, coming together and uh, and really trying to to survive. A couple of other empowering moments. I know uh, one with the Berlin Wall falling, the end of the Soviet Union, the end of the Eastern Bloc countries, um, or not countries, but the Eastern Bloc, um, and and the expansion of credit union systems as a result of that. I know you've mentioned that before that that was incredibly empowering to see credit unions developing in countries like Poland and Russia and Ukraine. You know, what we often don't don't uh, recognize is that the credit union system in Poland in 1935, 1939 was much larger than the credit union system in the U.S. at that time. And so the credit unions really had very deep roots in Eastern Europe. And there were credit unions in, in most Eastern European countries. They were essentially shut down, destroyed by uh, World War II and by the Soviet Union. So when Lech Walesa and, and his colleagues uh, worked for political freedom in Poland, you know, they, they wanted a vehicle for economic freedom as well, something that wasn't state-controlled, something that empowered people in their local communities uh, to help each other, and they discovered credit unions. And so um, they were very committed to helping to start, restart rather, something that they felt was part of their, their heritage, uh, the credit union system in Poland. And I can remember working with many of the young people who were there committed to learning about credit unions and starting those credit unions up. And as we were setting up their office and helping them work with credit unions uh, around the country, uh, one, of, one of the gifts that we had given them was a copy machine. And it was just an old uh, style Xerox machine. And they were just fascinated with this copy machine because they had spent so many years in some dark basement with an old mimeograph sure. roll machine trying to produce materials to, to distribute to people underneath the radar. And they said, wow, what we could have done if we had a <laughs> copy machine. Yeah, it, may, it really makes you realize the impact that, um, you know, financial freedom gives to people at that point. And, and again, you know, you come to 1994, you've gone through the things that you talked about and, and helped the people that you already have in Central America and, and the Eastern Bloc countries. And then Rwanda happens and there's a genocide in Rwanda and credit unions um, were the only really financial responders that were still standing at that point. Yeah, that was a very disturbing time. And, um, uh... You know, we were in with the United Nations folks um, at the end of that genocide, and uh, it was, you could see the destruction uh, of, of the infrastructure, uh, and, it was, and it, was, it was really a horrible time. Um, what was striking was that there was a Ukrainian system in Rwanda that had operations in every village uh, around the countryside. Uh, and some of them have been destroyed, their members have fled the country or been killed. But the government uh, identified those credit unions as a way to re, uh, restart local economies throughout uh, Rwanda. And uh, had a lot of success working with those credit union folks in Rwanda. Uh, and and um, they spent some time with Maine credit unions where they could speak French and, and learn about credit union operations in Maine. 
and we had to rebuild the books, the the buildings, uh, and uh, address the the accounts of, of savings that were lost, loans that were not, not going to be repaid. Uh, rebuilt that credit union system, very successful. They were up and running, and it was in those local credit unions where the the Hutus and the Tutsis sat down together and began to rebuild and, and reconstruct their their social network and their economic uh, operations. It's amazing to think about that being the setting for them to build a dialogue again and and go back to living together in peace after, after what occurred there and the genocide that did occur. Um, You know, during this time, there's so much tumult, there's so much upheaval. Um, Was it difficult to focus on building new programs with world council at that time? Because in other words, uh, ways to help credit unions all over the place, because there was such crisis. There was such a focus on helping credit unions just survive and, and help their members survive and get back on their feet financially. You know, I, I can remember during that time, um, you know, and as we've seen over and over again, when there's a crisis uh, and we think of these things as geopolitical crises, things we see in the news, we read about in the news, they have their impact at the community level. And there, it, it affects uh, normal people, people on the street, people uh, in their daily lives. And those communities turn to their Cretans to help find solutions. And that's when you see Cretans stand out apart and above other commercial financial institutions because the Cretans are responding to the needs of their members. Um, so certainly there's a time of crises, but it was also a time of opportunity and growth. We talked about Eastern Europe and Cretans really were driven by their mission. They were out there, they were reaching many of the underserved, um, some of the populations that were marginalized. And it was also a growth period for Cretans. So the, certainly we were dealing with a number of crises and challenges, but we were also doing our basic operations, our basic work of expanding Cretan services to underserved populations. You, you get to the end of the 90s and there's relatively speaking a lot more stability around the world and then you know especially before 9/11 uh, relative stability around the world. It looked like at that time anywhere World Council was starting to focus on okay what are some big picture things that we can do to help credit unions and I know the model credit union building program around that time came into the, came into focus and it still exists today and it's still helping credit unions and explain for people who've never heard of that, what that is, why it's been important. Well, in the, in the mid to late 90s, you know, Cretans tended to be small, local operations, very limited services. And the common notion was, if you want a loan, you go to the Cretan. But if you have savings, you take that to the bank. So Cretans didn't have the same level of confidence and prestige. And they were really essentially attracting the net borrowers. They weren't attracting the net savers. And so we often would work with Cretan systems to, um, to carry out a, a paradigm change, which we call the model Cretan program, was really about finding a motor for growth. And the, that motor for growth was really savings mobilization. It was, uh, it was deposit growth. It was looking at what are, the, uh, what are the objectives? What are the goals of members? And how do we help them achieve those goals by helping them save? How do we put together... Uh, programs to help them expand the land that they're producing on, their, um, improve their housing, get their kids through school, uh, acquire equipment or assets. 
And when you're mobilizing savings like that, very important to generate confidence. I mean, people put their savings where they feel their savings are safe and where their savings are convenient, they have access to them. And those are the first two criteria before they look at what's the return to those savings. So it was really about putting in place a lot of management disciplines and systems. And frankly, sometimes our colleagues would say, you guys sound like the IMF. You guys sound like a bunch of bankers. <laughs> but really, well, Is it because you were talking about supervision issues that maybe they hadn't explored before? You know, at that time, most Cretans were not supervised. And it was really about putting in place self-discipline uh, systems. And it was about building networks where if you want to participate in the shared network and the shared benefits, you had to meet criteria. You had to meet... Uh, uh, quality standards, because otherwise, another credit union manager down the road is not going to trust um, your ability to uh, participate with them. But as you pointed out, you know, one paradigm shift leads to another paradigm shift. Because the credit unions were so successful in growth, mobilizing savings, and they became larger um, entities mobilizing savings within the financial systems, they came to the attention of policymakers and regulators. And there was a strong drive to provide more supervision and more regulation of credit unions. You mentioned that they said to you, we, you sound like the IMF. Um, but I know that such a big factor in growing financial services and financial institutions is brand and, and people knowing they can trust you. And, and was that another part of making sure that that supervision was in place to make sure that credit union brand was protected? Well, absolutely. I mean, on one hand, you know, where we saw Cretans uh, actually commit to those financial standards, the irony was, you know, it may sound like committing to all these disciplines and rules, you're reducing your freedoms, but frankly, it gave the Cretans more freedom to do the things they wanted to do to provide services to their communities. They couldn't do that from a position of weakness. And it also gave them more strength to negotiate with their regulators from a position of strength. And so what we saw was, frankly, uh, the emulation of models. And so the Cretans that were successful at deposit growth and financial management discipline were stronger, and other Cretans began to see that success, and they began to emulate that. You also saw a significant change in the empowerment of the Cretan staff, employees, board members, because they now had a, a stronger sense of of service and as you say, brand. And they also had uh, resources with which they could invest in their own training. And you saw, frankly, a lot of training and empowerment of the staff themselves. Now, uh, over time, as I said before, that also generated more supervision uh, from within the countries. But that growth, that increased participation in the financial markets drew more attention when bad things happened. And so very often, we would work with credit union systems to protect that credit union brand, that notion that credit are safe institutions, not only at the national level, but at the international level. There were challenges in Mexico at one time, and that started to show up in the press, the international press. And so we worked with credit unions in Mexico. We worked with the credit union government under Vicente Fox, who was really committed to uh, helping to strengthen and to grow that credit union system in Mexico. And Mexico is a great example of credit unions expanding into rural areas. And and I know World Council, that became a focus to, to continue that growth. Our international projects, uh, I feel like 
we work so much with rural folks, whether it's, uh, you know, smallholder farmers in Kenya or, or Ukraine. I mean, and a lot of their issues from continent to continent are so similar. How important has that arm of rural council been through the years, the international projects arm in, in, you know, using money from donors like USAID and the Gates Foundation, you name it, to, to expand credit union programs in developing nations? So, you know, the, the World Council has always had a lot of requests from credit union systems for technical strengthening, uh, technical assistance, training, and, uh, it, and our, our dues really support our ability to provide uh, connections, international communications, advocacy. And we look to many of the donors that you mentioned to help provide resources for training and technical assistance. You find that in most countries, the majority of the population is very rural. And you also find in most countries that in the urban capitals, uh, you have a very um, saturated financial market. And you have a much more underserved market in the provincial er cities and in the rural areas. And that's where you see credit unions really growing. Um, in the old days, frankly, we used to work with credit unions in terms of opening up branch offices and helping them to expand their agricultural lending. Uh, and then we found that, uh, you know, there were, there were other ways that credit unions could not only provide financing to individuals, but help invigorate local communities. And we did value chain mapping where we would map out all the input providers for production of a particular uh, crop and then where that crop would go into the marketplace. And so, for example, we could finance the different players all along that value chain. In places like Peru, we would finance the input providers, uh, the oats producers, the processors, and then the transport people. Then that would then go into, for example, the, uh, the national uh, breakfast f uh, for for schools oatmeal program wow. reinvigorating some of those communities now we also did a lot of work in places like philippines ecuador uh, and mexico in terms of taking a lesson from some of the microfinance organizations where they would do small group loans and so we found people prefer individual loans but we could do group uh, uh, co-guaranteeing of loans and Cretans could expand into rural areas where there wasn't sufficient population to set up a branch office. And so uh, Cretans would send someone out on a motorcycle, they would map out a route through the rural areas, and people in a particular town would know that at two o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, there'd be a representative from the Cretan in there uh, to take deposits and make and receive loan payments. And that took uh, services deeper into the rural areas and to lower income populations in a way that showed Cretans this was very profitable. Well, as these people were doing their circuits, um, they would have to come back at the end of the day and input all their data into the server. But they noticed that their cell phones were working. So if their cell phones were working, we could arm them with PDAs, handheld printers, and they could do their uh, transactions online with a device in the village and issue people a paper receipt right there. Just the fact that they had those devices in hand and people saw the, the transaction occurring electronically and they got this receipt generated a huge amount of, of confidence and we had huge growth for credit unions in these rural areas where previously the common 
method, Ben, there aren't savings in the rural areas. Poor people don't have savings. And so Creighton's reached a lot deeper into the rural areas than most other financial institutions. Most of these towns had a POS. I had a, a local village store. So we could set up a POS device at the village store, and that store could act as an agent for the credit union. And that extent, extended services from 2 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon to all day long. And then we could provide um, access through cell phones so people could access their accounts uh, 24 hours a day. So we're seeing a lot of growth, and we're seeing a lot of uh, development in credit unions all over the world. You just mentioned rural areas. We get to the end of the 2000s and everything changes because of the global financial crisis. And you had mentioned before that because credit unions were growing, that it attracted the attention of regulators. Well, the global financial crisis really attracted the attention of regulators, right? Right. So 2007, 2011, the global financial crisis really defined the next decade for financial institutions. And the G20 seeing the damage that uh, a problem in one country's financial sector could cause for the international uh, financial system, asked for more uh, homogenization, more standardization of supervision of financial institutions, anyone that took savings. And so we started seeing that not just in the U.S. or Canada, but in places like Papua New Guinea or, or Malawi or, or Bangladesh, um, the regulators were starting to put new regulatory uh, requirements on credit unions that they were ill-equipped to respond to. And that's because the international standard uh, setting organizations like the Basel Committee, the Financial Action Task Force, are setting rules for uh, 130, 150 large international banks that have operations across borders. That's their target. Uh, but the national regulators are taking these standards and applying them to credit unions small, community-based, mutual, cooperative-structured institutions where this is a, a very high regulatory burden. And it was starting to force Cretans uh, up market. They couldn't afford to provide services to lower-income populations, people with small savings accounts, small uh, loans, small levels of assets, non-traditional assets. So it was important that... Uh, World Council start to interface with those international standard setters. And if we had knocked on the door and said, we're here from the U.S., frankly, because it was just one country, they wouldn't have responded. Sure. But when we knocked on the door <clears throat> and we said, we represent 115 countries and 200 million members, they took, they took time to listen to what we had to say. And we're much more responsive about now as they're issuing standards, uh, clarifying that these standards should be applied in proportional manner to the size, the sophistication, the risk of the institutions, and that these were meant for large institutions with cross-border operations, not for smaller community-based uh, organizations. So part of the importance of the World Council's service to its membership was to help reduce that regulatory burden that was falling on credit units. The next step, of course, is working with our members and their national regulators to help their regulators understand that difference and how to apply these uh, pro more proportional standards to credit unions themselves. All the things you've mentioned, uh, the, the work in, in rural parts of different countries, international advocacy being established to kind of be that voice for the credit union movement at the international level, 
really led to a lot of growth. And we saw the, the credit union uh, movement grow to 260 million people. Um, and then, and that was in 2017. And, and you looked around and said uh, that growth, there's a lot of different reasons that credit unions are growing, but we're really noticing the ones that are growing are growing because they've offered digital services to their members. Um, and that became the focus as we, as we got to the end of the last decade and into the 2020s. Right. You know, we talked earlier about paradigm changes. So this was another paradigm change. When we had focused on promoting membership growth, we saw that the Koreans that were growing and achieved these targets earlier than expected were those that offer their core services via online and mobile channels. And these were the Koreans who were attracting the young adults. And so our next challenge had to be the digital transformation of the global credit union system. And it was not just about providing uh, their core services via online and mobile channels. It's also very much about integrating with the national payments ecosystem. So it becomes seamless in terms of those people who are doing their, uh, their news, their social interaction, their commercial purchasing, their retail purchasing, their payments online or mobile need to be able to access our financial services via that same channel and to uh, deal with these, uh, interactive with these uh, seamlessly. I know that uh, as you come to the end of 30 years, you look back and there's all kinds of things that this organization has accomplished. I think we'd be remiss to not mention some of the things that um, we've done with disaster relief. One that is near and dear to your heart happened back in 2004 with the tsunami in Sri Lanka. And, and you said credit unions really helped rebuild a lot of those communities that were devastated there. Yeah. You know, uh, Sri Lanka and Haiti stand out as two examples where the, the common pattern you see about credit unions in times of disaster really stand out as shining example, examples of success. Credit unions were some of the first organizations on the ground before uh, government organizations, before international parties on, uh, at places of disaster, providing relief. Now, as, as people are trying to sort out their lives, Cretans are also the first institutions to open up and start providing financial services uh, to people. Uh, so other financial institutions may not reopen for months. Um, in Haiti, we had uh, tents up on the and parking lots of Cretans, although the buildings were destroyed, providing services to people within a week. And this was after the earthquake in Haiti in This was the earthquake in 2010. Yeah. And... You know, we, we actually carried cash down to Haiti and Cretans were dispersing cash to members so that they could sort out their lives. Same thing in, in Sri Lanka. Cretans were uh, providing financing for their members to rebuild their fishing boats, their fish, their nets, to desalinize their land, get crops up and running again, helping to restart their uh, local activities. And Cretans become seen as a symbol of stability. And I can remember uh, we had contributions for Cretans all over the world to help rebuild Cretans in Sri Lanka, just like we had contributions to help rebuild Cretans in Haiti. And as those Cretans were rebuilt, uh, there were at one point there was a rumor of another tsunami in Sri Lanka, and people in the local village went to the roof and stood on the roof of the Cretan because they saw that as a place of wow. safety. Same thing in Haiti. Cretans, you know, which were rebuilt in Haiti, when there were times of um, disaster, 
people would look to their credit union as a source of stability uh, to help get them through those those times. So disaster relief, obviously, is something that we've we've really seen credit unions step up and help out in. But it's not just disasters when you think of natural disasters. It's also man-made disasters, right? I mean, we've seen civil conflicts in Ukraine, uh, refugee um you know, displacement of refugees in, in South America and elsewhere. Um, and again, credit unions have stepped up in those circumstances as well. You know, the basic rule of thumb that I've always seen, Greg, is that when bad things, credit unions step up. And so, uh, you know, we, we were talking about 2010. And, you know, this was also a period of time when we saw civil war in Ukraine. And uh, I can remember being in the office of the Credit Union Association in uh, Kiev the day that the Russian tanks went into Crimea and the phone rang all day and, and people were calling from the Credit Unions in Crimea saying, you know, there are soldiers pounding on the door. What do we do? Well, you just put, this, put the cash in the safe, lock the safe, open the door and don't provide any resistance. So um, as that conflict spread into the southern and eastern parts of Ukraine, other financial institutions pulled out of those rural areas because of the risk. But the cranes aren't going anywhere. Cranes are rooted in their communities. People in those communities are still there. They're asking the cranes to help find solutions. And so we began working with cranes in Ukraine to help them do things they hadn't done before. They had largely done consumer lending, education lending, and now they needed to learn how to do agricultural lending. They needed to learn how to do lending for small business so that people could feed their families again and, and could provide employment. And uh, it was also a time when we had to help the credit unions update their legislation and regulation. And as Ukraine was looking to position itself to eventually become part of the European Union, it was very much about, well, what does that mean in terms of European ascension and requirements for regulation and supervision of credit unions? So um, one of the... You know, one of the endearing parts of working at the World Council is you're part of history. You're participating in history. And when challenging things happen, Creighton step in and help make a difference for those people and those communities that are affected by those geopolitical issues or those uh, natural disasters. 70 million people who are refugees around the world today. And so very often you see Creightians working in the communities from which the refugees are leaving to try to provide them with a better alternative, an economic future. Um, in Guatemala, we do a lot of work with credit unions in the rural areas, again, helping to find ways to provide uh, commercial lending for small, medium enterprises, which credit unions typically had not been able to finance before. Um, in a time of the pandemic, when other institutions are not providing financing to those small businesses, Communities are asking Creighton's to provide that financing to those small businesses. Time of high risk, and that's why they look to the World Council to help provide some assistance in terms of risk mitigation, underwriting strategies, to be able to do that to support their communities. You mentioned COVID, and you know, you're entering we're entering your last decade, I guess, quote unquote. I mean, we're in the 2021 now, and you'll be retiring in July, but when we come into this decade with COVID and the way it hit and the way it hit so hard and still is hitting, I think a lot of people maybe listen to this in the United States don't realize how hard it's still hitting credit unions and their members in every other part of the world right now. Um, are we facing 
maybe the most challenging decade ahead because of COVID and because of what it's done to the landscape of uh, financial institutions? You know, it's certainly very challenging in terms of the health challenges, but also the economic fallout of, of the pandemic. And it will shape what happens in the creating system for the next three to five years, for sure. Uh, and we've really seen three significant uh, results. Uh, the first is uh, a much more urgency for digital transformation. And earlier I had talked about the need to be competitive to respond to convenience. And now it's about members' expectation of protecting their health and safety. And so we, we've seen lobby traffic in some countries go 80% uh, to mobile transactions. And so Crayons uh, have recognized that if they want to continue to operate and if they want to provide the best service to their members, they have to undergo that digital transformation. Um, secondly, it's a, it's, a, it's a tremendous opportunity for Crayons to do what they do best. And they are the financial first responders around the world. And it's, it's the Crayons that take the time to address how their members were impacted, how they help their members uh, get through that financial crisis, which is uh, economic recession, which is driven by the pandemic, uh, overcome their challenges, how the Crayons can provide financial services, to, for example, to those small businesses that other financial institutions have pulled back from. Uh, so it's, a, it's an opportunity for Crayons to do as they always have done something bad happens, they step in. That generates uh, savings growth, it generates loan opportunities, it generates me membership growth, and it generates tremendous loyalty. So it's a, it's a challenging time, but it's also a time when Cretans can really grow together. Brian, I think anybody who's taken the time to listen to this today has uh, said to themselves, you know, it's, in it's incredible the knowledge you have about credit unions, the knowledge you have about international movements and, and just the history of the movement. Um, I know you aren't somebody who likes uh, accolades and you don't like to talk about yourself very much, but I, I can tell you there are a lot of people at this organization who have said to me over the last few months, well, I hope I can still call Brian if he'll answer the phone if I have a question about this or that, because I don't know who else I would, I would go to for that perspective. Um, do, you, do you see yourself still having... Any interest in, 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 you know, consulting or anything like that? Or, or is this time for you to, to ride off into the sunset completely? You know, Koreans and the World Council have been my passion for a long time. And uh, it's very hard to just sort of cut, uh, cut the cord and, and disconnect. Um, I certainly will follow the leadership of the next CEO and uh, do whatever I can do to support uh, that leadership going forward, not get in the way. Um, I've certainly had lots of requests from our international colleagues to stay in touch. And, and I always, um, I don't like to poke my nose in where I'm not wanted, but I sure enjoy having a, a lively discussion or debate about what to do about such and such when I'm asked. So I look forward to it. Well, thank you for talking to us about this today. Thanks for all the all the work you've done for World Council over the years. It's been a it's been a pleasure in the short time I've been here with you. Thanks, Greg. Thanks so much. Brian Branch will be retiring as World Council's president and CEO in early July. We expect to have news on his replacement in the months ahead. 
Next month on the Global Credit Union Podcast, we'll have a preview of the 2021 World Credit Union Conference, which is going all virtual for the first time ever. If you haven't registered for it yet, what are you waiting for? Head to wcuc.org to get that done. Until June, I'm Greg Newman for World Council of Credit Unions and the Global Credit Union Podcast. Thank you.